0: I joke uh, with my mother sometimes that I got a, you know, I got a BS and BS. <laughs> in in architecture school, you sort of, you learn how to sell your designs, but in reality, it's, it's learning how to think in non-linear ways. So you're, you know, you learn how to think, you know, you sort of, you confront a problem and you say, okay, I can either go through it. I can go around it. I can go under it, or I can go over it. And so it's, it's that sort of non-linear thought process that I think we, we really excelled at uh, at SCAD. And I, I think to this day, they, they still uh, sort of practice that in their educational program.
1: This is Inside the Apple Studio, the podcast that details the intersection of architecture and Apple, and explores how architects and other design professionals use Apple products in the practice of architecture, with your host, architect Neil Pan. Support for Inside the Apple Studio comes from Monograph. Monograph is the cloud-based practice operations solution built for architects by architects. Learn how Monograph can help you be more productive at monograph.com. Inside the Apple Studio is also supported by ArcIT. ArcIT is an IT provider that specializes in serving Mac and PC-based architecture and design firms. For a free consultation, go to getarcit.com. Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio. I'm excited to have an architect that started his own small firm that specializes in single-family residential and light commercial architecture, design, and construction. A client-focused firm dedicated to providing suburb service with attention to detail. I'm pleased to welcome architect Jeremiah Russell to the show. Welcome. Thanks, Neil. Hey, well, I really appreciate you uh, joining me for this episode. Let's dive right in the first question I usually ask guests is what inspired you to become an architect?
0: Uh, Yeah. So that's, um, it's a great question. Um, When, so when I was a kid, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't know what a lot of people say, but um, when, when I was young, there, there really was only one kind of path, uh, so when I was a kid, my my grandmother took me and my mother to the city. Um, the way I remember it, it was New York City. It, it could have been pretty much any city with tall buildings. But um, so we went shopping in the city and I pretty much spent the entire day getting yelled at because I was sticking my head out of the cab, looking up at the tall buildings. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because I, I was just I was fascinated by these structures that were just so much larger and more impressive than I was. And, um, pretty much tracked through the rest of my life. I was just, I was always fascinated with, you know, how are things built? How are they put together? How do they work? Um, and that, uh, that, that naturally lended itself to, uh, to architecture. Cause you know, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, that's kind of what we do. So did that lead you
1: to take some like drafting classes in high school
0: yeah. So I, I did take drafting in high school. Um, I, uh, I guess I was, I was very gifted at it. Um, and so I slept through most of my courses, um, which is probably not a great way to, uh, you know, engender yourself to the, to the, the graces of your teacher. Um, I got in a lot of trouble for that, but, you know, I did good work and I passed the class. So, you know, I, I guess it was all right.
1: It all worked out.
0: Yes. Yeah. So then you
1: attended the Savannah college of art and design, earning a master's in architecture. Mm-hmm. What made you choose that college? Uh,
0: so I had an art teacher in high school um, who had two posters up in his class. One was for the Parsons school of design in, um, in Pennsylvania. The other was for the Santa- Savannah college of art and design in Savannah, Georgia. I actually applied to both um, through a very interesting um, quirk of miscommunication. Parsons actually never sent me an application for enrollment, um, but SCAD did. Mm -hmm. And so I applied to SCAD. I I tried multiple times to apply to Parsons, which which is actually where I wanted to go. Um, because of their uh, very design-focused uh, program. Uh, but SCAD you know, accepted me, and, um, and uh, I spent you know, five years uh, in Savannah, probably the five most incredible years of my life. Uh, and, and like you said, received uh, both my, my bachelor's uh, of fine arts and master's in architecture in 2003.
1: Now, where were you coming from?
0: Uh, so I grew up in South Georgia, um, I'm originally from upstate New York, but uh, my parents were both civil service. Uh, so I grew up in Kings Bay, Georgia, which is one of only three nuclear sub bases left on uh, or in the the United States. OK, um, so I grew up, uh, grew up there. And so Savannah was only about, you know, hour, hour and a half away from home. Uh, so it was uh, it was kind of an easy choice.
1: Now, you mentioned a, an undergrad or uh, another degree in, in art, in fine arts as well.
0: Yeah, so SCAD uh, SCAD started out as a five-year professional bachelor's degree. Uh, when I was in my third year, we were up for uh, NAB accreditation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, SCAD had routinely received a five-year accreditation. It just so happened that this year... They were reviewing the previous year's um, uh, thesis projects and had determined without SCAD requesting this that we be transitioned to a master's program. So basically the level of the work that we were providing or that we were creating as students was not, as they determined, a bachelor level program. It was a master's level program. And so they, they redid the accreditation for the college. And um, so in, the, in our fifth year, when we graduated, we received sort of a dual degree. One was kind of a little bit of BS. It was a bachelor of fine arts in architecture, but then our actual um, degree was a master's of architecture, which, you know, same as a, a bachelor's of architecture is a terminal degree. Uh, which allowed us to get licensed. Okay. Wow.
1: So you kind of lucked out being able to get a master's in five years instead of six.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, SCAD, you know, I mean, I I can't say it enough. It was, you know, like I said, it was the five best years of my life, not only living in that city, but being in that environment that it was very, very design focused, but also um, just, uh, you know, <laughs> I joke uh, with my mother sometimes that I got to Um, you know, I got a BS and BS, (laughs) it's, you know, in, in architecture school, you sort of, you learn how to sell your designs and, um, but, but in reality, it's, it's learning how to think in nonlinear ways. Um, so you're, you know, you learn how to think, you know, you sort of, you confront a problem and you say, okay, I can either go through it. I can go around it. I can go under it or I can go over it and so it's it's that sort of nonlinear uh thought process that I think we we really excelled at uh at scad and i I think to this day they they still uh um sort of practice that in their educational program
1: was there a class or instructor there that influenced you in your career path?
0: Oh gosh, there were so many um I think the I think the most influential was uh Lorraine papagasser and my God, if she ever listens to this podcast, I will, I will never live it down. <laughs> uh, she, she had the distinction of every critique that we had making someone cry. Oh, my. And it was not because her critiques were that harsh, but they were just that good. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that you understood just how bad you were, but you just understood there was so much room to grow so much room to do better. And, um, I really, really loved her critiques and, um, you know, her level of honesty and, uh, you know, she was, she was really kind of a bull in a China shop, um, when she would critique work and, and, uh, you know, from a very from a very early, early age in my career, I, I just, I appreciated that. And I, you know, I wanted more of it. I wanted to be, I didn't just want to hear good things. I wanted to be better, um, you know, as a, as a designer, as a student uh, and eventually as an architect. Um, and uh, I think she was really most, most instrumental in me taking those criticisms, not as a negative, but really as a positive. What else about
1: those five years made it in your words, the best years of your life?
0: I think it was living in a city that was so steeped in history and culture. Um, so our, our campus, it's not a campus in the, in the classical sense, like we, we lived and worked in the city Our our, uh, our college buildings were spread out all through the downtown. Um, We weren't isolated uh, from the rest of Savannah. We were right in the middle of it. You know, we were a part of the city, whether they wanted us there or not. And, um, you know, going back almost 20 years ago, it was mostly not. Uh, Now, obviously, you know, SCAD has much more of a, of a cachet of a, you know, a positive reputation, you know, within Savannah, Atlanta, LaCoste, France, you know, Hong Kong. I mean, it's, it is, it is spread um, worldwide. Um, But, you know, prior to that, there were, you know, some, I don't know, I would say some, some uh, negative bias to the students uh, that attended the college, at least within the, within the, the city of Savannah.
1: So after you graduated, you worked for a few different firms. Can you take us through some of those early experiences and how that influenced you and how you ended up in Little
0: Rock? Sure. Uh, So the very first firm that I worked for was KBJ Architects in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, KBJ was a very old firm. Uh, They actually have the distinction of being the oldest uh, firm in the state of Florida. Uh, the original name of the firm was Kemp, Bunch, and Jackson. I believe they started somewhere in the late 1930s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, might have been earlier than that. Uh, but they, they have the profound distinction within the state of Florida receiving the very first corporate license for an architectural firm in the state. Their corporate license number was actually a zero, 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 zero one. Wow. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my boss and mentor Walter was, um, (laughs) well not was, is, uh, an amazing architect, uh, but he was also a little bit of an eccentric. So one of the, one of the stories that I heard sort of round the, uh, round the water cooler was, Back in the late seventies, early eighties, when they were making the transition from hand drafting to computer drafting with uh, AutoCAD, they had they had purchased you know personal computers for all of the architects in the office, and you know they were they were working you know drawing their lines and rectangles and circles and whatever. And uh, Walter, he was famous for carrying Sharpies in his uh, in his uh, shirt pocket. And he came over to some, some architect's desk and they were, you know, drawing something on the screen and he was sort of arguing with them about, uh, proportion and size. And he's like, he's like, no, I don't want it to look, I don't want it to look like that. I you know, I want to make these changes and to illustrate those changes. He took a Sharpie out of his pocket and drew on the monitor, right? in permanent marker <laughs> to, to illustrate what he, what he wanted that, that architect or intern to do. And so the story goes, they went, they went, you know, shortly after that, the, the principals of the firm went to Walter. We were like, look, we're, we're taking your Sharpies. Away. You're, no longer, you're no longer allowed to have, uh, have these Sharpies and, and walk around the studio. But, uh, but Walter was great. He was, he was really wonderful. He, uh, he literally took me under his wing and, you know, taught me some real fundamentals, not just of um, sort of the art of architecture, but also the practice of architecture. Um, one, one thing that he, uh, that he told me, which I'll never forget. I was uh, I, I think I was working on a hotel project. that was, you know, all of, I don't know, 20 years old. And um And I was working on this hotel project uh, and he came over and I'm, I'm drawing these details and he's, you know, he's like staring over my shoulder, which, you know, if anybody that works in this profession knows is just an an awful situation to be in, but he's, he's standing like right over, right over my shoulder and he's looking at what I'm doing. He, He starts pointing at things like, what's that? What is that line? You know, what, what's, what's that doing? And honestly, I had no idea. I was like, I don't know. I'm just trying to make this work. And I'll never forget. He said to me, he said, don't ever draw, whether it's paper or a computer, I don't care how you're drawing it. Don't ever draw a line unless you know what it is, what it does and how it relates to everything else that's around it. And, and that, that really stuck with me even today. Um, You know, when we, because as architects, you know, technology is great. We can design in 3D and now we have all these, all these capabilities. But at the end of the day, if you can't take a pencil and a piece of paper and convey an idea, a a three-dimensional reality on it in a two-dimensional surface, you're really not going to be successful. I mean, you really have to hold onto that. Know what it is, what it does, and how it relates to everything else around it um and that's something pretty profound that i've i've carried with me all you know for almost 20 years now
1: what took you to a firm in florida after going to school in georgia
0: sure so that was uh that was family um i met my wife in jacksonville florida and my in-laws had moved from jacksonville to kansas city uh, i guess around about uh 2008 early 2009 uh, after my son was born. And, um, after a couple of years there, Jacksonville uh, saw a steep downturn in work. Um, I went from working, uh, working full-time for a firm to working part-time and then to contract work. Mm. And, uh, and so this was, this was two thousand. 2010, 2011, 2012. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really tough. Um, you know, my daughter was born in 2009 and, you know, we're sort of a, a young family and, um, it was just not, not a great, um, professional work environment in Jacksonville. And so we were originally looking to move to Kansas city, uh, to be closer to family. And, you know, I was on the AIA Jobs Board and and saw a listing for uh, for a job in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I'll be honest, I had to look up where Arkansas was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, my my geography is awful. Uh, but I was like, where Where the hell is Arkansas? Yeah, and it's just so happens it's just south of uh, Missouri.
1: And I was yeah. like,
0: oh, okay. And uh, um, the the listing was for project architect or um, or project manager with, you know, someone with the ability to get licensed while I was in the middle of taking my exams. And so I applied, but the reason that I applied is the firm that I came here to work for specialized in historic preservation. And until that time, that was something that I had never really done. Um, you know, I'd pretty much done everything else. I had done residential. I had done, you know, hospitality. I had done education. I had done aviation. I had done, uh, you know, institutional, ecclesiastical. You know, you name it. Except for historic preservation, uh, it was always something that I was interested in, and um, and so I I applied, and and we drove up here. We interviewed, not just me, but you know, me and the kid and the wife and the kids. We all drove up here. Uh, to interview and to make sure that it was a good fit, because, you know, obviously moving from Florida to Arkansas, that's a big deal. And when we were here, we we really just fell in love with Little Rock and with Arkansas. Um, you know, for me personally, it truly is the, the best kept secret in the union. Um, Arkansas is known as the natural state, uh, which means we have lots of Parks, um, you know, mountains, rivers, uh, you know, lakes. I mean, there's, you know, if you're an outdoors person like me, there's plenty to do. I mean, I've lived here for almost 10 years and I still haven't seen it all. Um, So that's really what brought us up. Uh, And once we got here, we just didn't want to leave.
1: Now, you came there to work for another firm.
0: Yes, we did but
1: now you have your own firm. So how did that transition happen?
0: Yeah. So it was sort of an unfortunate transition. Um, I thought I was kind of moving here to be part of something to help grow it. Um, Unfortunately, when I got licensed, um, the, the firm that I was working for my boss, you know, we'd had several conversations about, you know, me taking on more leadership roles and sort of growing with the firm, that kind of thing. Um, But uh, you know, as things happened that just didn't work out um, the firm that I was working for merged with another firm that I really didn't want to work for. Um, and so for a very brief period, only about six months, I went to work for a larger firm here in Arkansas. Uh, one of the oldest uh, in the state, as a matter of fact, which was interesting sort of going back to my first firm, KBJ. Um you know, very large corporate firm, corporate environment, you know, you're in a cubicle. That's what you do. Sit there, do your job. And, but I was also moonlighting at the time, which, you know, everybody knows every architect does. And the, the moonlighting was starting to sort of bleed into the daylight. And, you know, I was working probably six days a week, 16 hours a day. And I, I was just killing myself. And, uh, so I, I kind of sat down with my wife one day, I was like, look, something's got to give We're we either need to, you know, just take the jump and, and do this on our own, or I need to give up all this side work and just, you know, just work at this firm. And, you know, eventually maybe one day I'll, I'll work my way up through the ranks and, and just have to be content with that. And, you know, I'll never forget my, my wife, she really, she kind of looked at me. She's like, No. No, I think you need to do this. Like it's you know it's time. The time is right. You know, obviously, I'll you know she wanted to support me in in what I wanted to do, but it was it was really her leap of faith that that led us to this. And you know, next month uh, in November, middle of November, will be seven years since we had that conversation. Um, and I haven't regretted a single moment of it yet. Did
1: you think you were ready to have your own firm when you did it?
0: Hell no! Nobody's ready. <laughs> that's like that's like asking a you know somebody who's a guy who's about to become a father. Hey, are you ready to be a parent? <laughs> Very Hell true. No, I'm not ready to be a parent. I have no idea what I'm doing. This is like if you want the ultimate job on the job training, start a business.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. That's so true. So, what were the what were some of the difficulties that you encountered right off the bat?
0: Oh, shit. insurance! Uh, you know what's an LLC? Um, <laughs> you know what? What's the right corporate structure for me? I am sure there is you know ten thousand blog posts about that. Um, you know how to how to bill? Like how to you know how to separate your finances? I mean, my gosh the the list is uh, the list is legion and legendary. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still learning like, you know, seven years into this, I'm still figuring things out. Uh, you know, I think that's simultaneously part of the excitement, but also. Um, you know, it's a it's a little bit terrifying to think about, but, you know, really keeps me motivated and keeps me going day to day.
1: Now, you named your firm Rogue Architecture. Mm-hmm. What inspired that name?
0: Well, so early in my career, um i made a conscious decision to not spend all of my time in one firm so in the first 5 years of practice i worked for five different firms um you know a lot of a lot of employment experts out there will tell you that's that's a horrible idea you know having that kind of sporadic employment history is is not good it doesn't look good to future employees and that kind of thing for whatever reason for me it worked really well I worked for five really incredible firms uh, in my first five years of practice I learned so many things had great mentors at every single firm learned so much about not just the the art of architecture but the business and the practice and the the um um the 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 engineering side of architecture the you know, the nuts and bolts, the things that aren't sexy, the things that aren't pretty. Um, The things that most of us don't really learn until we're either in a leadership position or we start our own firm. I was very fortunate to be able to learn some of those things very early early on working at those different firms. I, I kind of started, started making a, a mental list. Think of it as like a do's and don'ts because there was, there was never any doubt that eventually I was either going to be partner or I was going to start my own firm. Like those were really the only two options. That was, that was my, my trajectory. And so working with these firms, I kind of started, you know, just looking around at, you know, different management styles, different practice styles, um, you know, and even, even different uh, partners within those different firms. Like, you know how do partners work together and how do they how do they differ in their practice styles and things like that? I just I paid attention to the people that were around me, especially in in leadership positions and so when when I got to the point where it was time to hang my own shingle, I wanted to do things differently um, I didn't want to have the you know, the sort of tried and true model of how to start an architecture firm. You, you hang a shingle, you hire interns, you, you have staff, you have an office, you, you know, you sort of, you raise up this, um, uh, you know, this, this gargantuan overhead that you now have to maintain. Um, I wanted to do things differently. I wanted to build relationships as a firm with other firms, you know i wanted to i wanted to kind of build my business in a way that i could leverage other firms and let those firms leverage me and so early on i worked with um i worked with some other architects uh, as a matter of fact most of my projects came from former bosses uh, i think the first 2 years that's that is mostly where my uh, my clients came from was other architects who were like, Hey, you need to talk to this guy. And I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for that. I still maintain most of those relationships and most of those ar- architects are still some of my best friends. Um, and, and so that, that's kind of where rogue came from. I wanted to, I just wanted to do something different. And, you know, the definition of rogue, if you really dive into it, is someone who lives outside of the norm, Someone who's not afraid to break barriers, to um, to push the envelope, to kind of stand outside the box and look in and say, is this really the way that we should be doing things? Um, and that's, that's really the way I want to practice. I want to, you know, I want to focus not just on the architecture, but also on the human experience of, you know, what is the buildings that I'm creating? What is it really like to be in those spaces? And how does... You know, does it does it make the experience through my design better?
1: That sounds a little bit like the philosophy that you talk about on your website, your philosophy and approach to architecture. And Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit also about what you mean by a client focused firm?
0: Sure. So the reason that I've focused on mostly single family residential uh, custom homes uh, remodels, historic preservation, but also small commercial projects is because I want to work with the, the end user. So my, when I say client focused, I'm focused on the experience of those that are actually going to use the building that we design. Um, so, you know, a, and this is, you know, it's not a, it's not a critique. It's not a knock at larger firms that do larger projects. There's, you know, there's a, there's a place for that. There's a lane for that, but it's not me. Um, what I want to focus on is how are, what is the experience of being in one of my buildings going to be like? Um, and I want it to be as, as enjoyable, as uplifting, as, as enriching as possible, whether it's a whether it's a historic remodel or it's a new custom home, or it's, you know, a retail space in a strip mall. I, I want to think about and be able to think about, to have that freedom to think about what these people's lives are going to be like in that space, you know, uh, passive heating, and cooling, uh, natural ventilation, uh, you know, natural daylighting, circulation, you know, is, is, are the, are the spaces that I'm designing, are they sympathetic to the human body? Like, you know, do, do, are people going to feel comfortable in this space? Are they going to feel welcomed? Are they going to feel invited and, um, you know, able to freely move within these spaces? I think that's, that's really at the core of, of what I want to do. You
1: have a checklist.
0: I do not. I probably
1: should. <laughs> you just listed off about six things. I'm I thinking, yeah. does he have a checklist to make sure every one of those happened on his designs?
0: Yeah. And it, and if I ever wrote it down, um, it would probably be the death of me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I really take I take each new project as a new and interesting um, challenge. Um, it's not necessarily formulaic. You know some some projects. Let's be honest, they're a little bit more pedestrian than others. They, um, you know, they have a very finite sort of program, and there's there's a very limited um, sort of skill set that's required to make it successful. Um, but you know, sometimes you know those those few projects come along where you're really able to, um, you know, kind of spread your wings and flex your muscles as as a, an architect and a designer. And you know you you find those those opportunities those small uh, opportunities to design and design well.
1: So you've mentioned a number of different project types that you've worked on. Do you have a favorite?
0: Um, favorite? I well, I don't know. Maybe it is a good term. I would say historic preservation is probably one of my most favorite or the the projects that i get the most excited about um, for a few reasons one you're you're dealing with an existing structure um but you're also dealing with an existing structure that has a a quality and a character that needs to be respected um and and honored uh in in a way that's different from let's say you take a you know uh a strip center or, um, you know, some other commercial sort of modern commercial space. That's just being renovated for the umpteenth time. Historic architecture is a little bit of a different animal. Um, you have to understand its place and time, uh, when it was built, how it was built, which I think is the most important. And that investigation is really fascinating uh, for me, because you're you're taking a step back in time, and you're trying to put yourself in the minds of the architects and the contractors that that designed and built this thing. This thing that's still there, that you know is is still there from a time probably before you were born. You know, I'm I'm not that old. I'm only 41. Like most historic structures, have been here since before I was born. Um. And so, you know, the, those types of projects that I'm working on, I'm, I'm dealing with construction technologies that are, you know, can be a hundred years or more old, but then I've got to apply kind of modern design sensibilities, a modern program to that building, whether it's, whether it's an office, whether it's a retail space, whether it's, um, you know, somebody's home, um, and and there's there's kind of a there's a balance there, you know, and then obviously there's some, you know, bureaucratic red tape with National Park Service and, you know, State Historic Preservation Office and, uh, you know, Secretary of the Interior Standards for Rehabilitation, all that kind of thing. Th- those are more that that's more sort of, you know, detail prog- programmatic stuff, you know, design can operate sort of outside and within that simultaneously um but yeah it's it's those historic projects that i I really love working on um it's the limitations that an existing structure, especially an existing historic structure, place on design, I think give you real opportunity for creativity unlike just having a blank slate um, and that's that's something that I I truly enjoy doing.
1: Well, this month you're relaunching a new, with a new website and some other initiatives. Can you share with the listeners what you're doing and what inspired you to do it and yep. what you hope to gain from it?
0: Sure. So we we had kind of started started off the summer or the end of the summer with um, the intent of relaunching all three of our companies, so Rogue Architecture, Rogue Construction, and Rogue Community Development with new websites, new logo we've, we've sort of pulled back from that a little bit. Um, it was all supposed to coincide with the anniversary of our seventh year in business, which is in November. We've kind of taken a step back from that. We, you know, we still have the the three companies and we're, you know, we're still working on those things, but really it's, it's turned into just a, a celebration of our uh, seven years in business. And so we're going to, We're going to invite out, uh, you know, to our office. We're going to open our office to the public. We're going to, um, you know, have um, past clients, current clients, um, you know, contractors, product vendors, um, you know, pretty much everybody that we've ever worked with in the last seven years. We're going to invite them out and just have just kind of a little party and a celebration at our office to just kind of commemorate. I mean, seven years is a lot, you know some people don't think that's a lot, but you know, when you, when you open a firm in your, in your mid thirties, um, you know, with a wife and two kids, that's scary. And to, to now be able to look back seven years on and have more than reasonable prospects to look seven years and more in the future, that's kind of a big deal. So, um, you know, we really just want to celebrate that and, and say thank you to a lot of people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a pretty good party.
1: Well, that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, seven years on your own. That's fantastic. So looking at your career so far, if you had to look back, how has the reality of the profession been different from where you thought it would be when you first started out?
0: So Neil, that is, that is an interesting question. Uh, When I first interviewed at KBJ, my future boss at the time asked me a question. He said, what do you think about the business of architecture? I was fresh out of college. I don't know what the hell I was talking about. I'm sure I gave some you know, some sort of platitudes, you know, this utopian view of architecture and how we change the world and shape the future and all this other crap. And, you know, he just kind of looked at me, he smiled and, you know, I got the job, you know, thankfully. But I remember at my one year review uh, at the same firm, he asked, I sat down in his office, he asked me the same questions. Like, so you've been here a year. What do you think about the business of architecture? And I looked at him with a straight face and I said, you know, the business of architecture is hard and they do not prepare you for the business of architecture in college. And, and I still stand by that today. You know, when I talked earlier about, you know, I'm still learning things about the business of architecture. It's, you know, it's always changing, you know, there's, there's technology, there's, um, Obviously there are laws that change, you know, you got to deal with workers comp, you got to deal with errors and omissions insurance. You got to deal with, you know, all this stuff. It's not, it's not creative. It's not sexy. You know, a lot of times being in business, it's answering phone calls, answering emails, you know, going out to job sites to meet contractors and telling them, you know, why they've screwed that up and how they need to fix it. Um, but at the end of the day, there's really nothing else that I would rather do. You know, the, the, the art, the engineering and the business of architecture, you know, they're all sort of tangled up together in this, in this joy of, of designing and building things. Uh, And that that's, you know, that's really what I, what I hold on to uh, on a day-to-day basis.
1: Well, let's take a quick short break and after we'll let's, explore a little bit more about your Mac experience right after this. Architects, how do you manage your firm? Are you using dated and clunky software? Are you frustrated using different spreadsheets and never really getting a clear view of the status of your projects? Then let me tell you about Monograph because they can help. Monograph is online software that is designed by architects for architects. It allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets. It can not only track all of this, but it can do it all in real time. Monograph has an awesome tool called Money Gantt. With it, you can immediately see whether you are under or over budget on a project. Monograph also comes with a tool called Resource, which allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Using this powerful tool, you can easily adjust your projects on a week-to-week basis. Can your dated and clunky software do that? Monograph makes this easy. Check out all the ways Monograph can help your firm be more productive at monograph.com and be proactive with Monograph. As business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. For many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know I've had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills. It's not a pleasant experience, and clearly I wasn't dealing with an IT provider like ArcIT. ArcIT is a different kind of company. They specialize in serving Mac and PC-based architecture and design firms, This means they understand your Mac-related challenges of keeping your personal and your business data separate and have experience providing solutions when certain software providers stop supporting macOS. Combine this with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, solid disaster recovery and backup solutions, and enterprise-grade security management. And yet, all of the above are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ARC IT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business. All of this sounds expensive, right? Not with ARC IT. Because ARC IT is highly specialized for our industry, their pricing is on par, or in some cases, even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and publishes its pricing on its website. Your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to Boris, ArcIT's founder and CEO for a free consultation. Go to getArcIT.com and click Work With Us. Welcome back everyone. Jeremiah, you've taken us through your architectural journey. Now let's discuss how you started using a Mac and eventually other Apple products. Where were you first exposed to the Mac and what was the first Mac you used or owned?
0: Yep. Uh, So the first Mac that I used was when I moved to Arkansas and started working for um, the firm uh, that I came here to work for, uh, Ruby Architects. They were a Mac-based office. And the software that they used was called PowerCAD. Uh, which is a 2D only software. It's Mac based. Um, I think it's mostly defunct now, but, um, and prior to that, I mean, I was, you know, like most people, I was a PC junkie. I mean, I, you know, my very first computer was a Tandy 1000, you know, way back in the eighties. And um, so Mac was, was a completely foreign uh, world to me when I moved to uh, to Arkansas Um, but you know, as happens a lot of time, you sort of work with what you're given. And so I just did, um, it was a, a 27 inch IMAX. This is 2012, uh, when I moved here and, um, you know, I, I had an iPhone and so it just seemed like sort of a natural transition iPhone, iMac. you know, why not? You know, they talk to each other well, uh, and just sort of dove right in. didn't look back.
1: What was that experience like after spending a number of years using a PC, I assume probably using AutoCAD to have to make the transition to a different platform and a different CAD software?
0: So in terms of CAD software, it was, um, it was really just learning the, the keys, um, you know, the shortcut keys. So, you know, when I, Years ago, when I worked in AutoCAD, you know, I didn't have any any icons on my on my desktop. I just used shortcut keys to do everything uh, because i had been doing it so long and knew them all. And so it was really just a matter of learning what those short key, shortcut keys are, uh, so that I could I could do my job as efficiently as as possible. Going back to my old mentor Walter, you know, he said, you know, the computer is no different than than a pencil and paper. It's just a more sophisticated tool. You just need to know how to use it and use it to full advantage. And so, you know, I've worked in, I've worked in AutoCAD. I've worked in DataCAD. I've worked in PowerCAD. I've worked in Revit. I've worked in Vectorworks. Um, you know, I worked in uh, in ArchiCAD for, for a very little bit. Um, and, you know, they're all just tools. Uh, you know, the computer is a, is a, is a tool as sophisticated as it is. It's still just a tool, um, despite its its power as a tool. It still can't think as fast as the human mind can, and so it's up to us to simply learn how to use it to full advantage. Um, for me, uh, Apple products. The way I describe it is, unlike PC, there's there's one button. You press it, and it just works. Um, there's, it, it sort of takes the, takes the guesswork out of it for you. you know, I've, for as long as I've been using Apple products, I've never once seen the blue screen of death. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: you're working for this firm using PowerCAD. Did you work for somebody else beforehand? And if not, what made you want to use a Mac for when you started Rogue? And went on your own,
0: uh, mostly because I already had one um, at home, so it was easy. Uh, so when I was um, when I was working for that firm, uh, Ruby Architects, we were in the process of making a transition to BIM. So this is 2012, 2013, and you know, obviously Revit's at that point had been around for a number of years but obviously not Mac based. And so my, my boss, he's like, Hey, you know, we, we want to make this transition. So it's your job to go out there and find a software that we can use that is Mac based. And I said, okay. Um, And so, you know, I did what I did, what any reasonably intelligent person does. I reached out to the people in my circle at that it was a social media circle, and it was, uh, it was Lee Kalisti who came back and told me about Vectorworks. He's like, hey, I've been using it for years. It's great. You know, it's Mac-based, but I use it on a PC. It's cross-platform, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I, I, At the time, I had been looking into ArchiCat, but the cost of it was, and still is, substantial. And so I downloaded a trial, but then I also downloaded a trial of, um, of Vectorworks and, um, it just seemed a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more user friendly. Um, and just, uh, so, you know, if you think of the learning curve, it was just a little bit more shallow. wasn't quite so steep. And, um, And so we, you know, we purchased it as an office and we started with one project. Um, it was actually a single family house for a contractor and, uh, just, you know, literally overnight made the jump and just figured it out. It, you know, it took probably about, took about three months to sort of figure out the, the basic ins and outs. Um, but we made it work. We, you know, we built a beautiful house and, um, And just sort of went forward from there. So when I went out on my own, Vectorworks is what I was most, I don't want to say it's what I was most familiar with, but it was for what I wanted to do, it was the most comfortable. And because it was Mac-based, it sort of made made the transition more easy for me. So one of the things that I learned about Apple products, sort of early on, is that though the cost of entry is a little higher than PC, the um, the utility, the length of utility that you get out of the product is so much longer that the cost is actually cheaper. So you know when I bought my first iMac, that computer lasted and it was it was used when i bought it that computer lasted um i think 3 years so it was it was 6 or 7 years old and it unfortunately just sort of you know one day just decided i'm not going to work anymore and uh you know i, I literally had Like I was in panic mode. I took it down to the Apple store. I was like, please fix my computer. Get it to work again. They were like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. I was like, okay, well, I'm leaving with another computer. So, you know, just go get one and give it to me, please. And, and you know, I just, I've always used uh, Mac products since.
1: What other applications or services do you use to manage the rest of your practice beyond using Vectorworks just for your CAD work?
0: So most everything that we use, obviously, nowadays is cloud-based. So our financial software is cloud-based. We use Dropbox for file sharing and, and, uh, uh, you know, office database stuff. Um, You know, I, I use iNotes almost exclusively for all sorts of things, you know, jotting down notes while I'm on a project site to even sketching you know, details. Um, You know, if I'm, if I'm somewhere where I just happen to have my iPad and my, you know, my pencil and I just kind of, you know, sketch something out. uh, I use more folio which is great on the iPad. I use um, gosh, what else?
1: How about from a project management side? Do you use anything specifically to kind of manage your projects
0: so project management has been one area where I have struggled to find something that works well um, or rather works more intuitively. Um, so I've used Zoho Projects before, which is um, it's sort of project management, but it's more project scheduling like, uh, uh, like milestones and to-do lists and things like that. I've used Asana I've used Slack. Again, they're, you know, they're all cloud-based, um, but yeah, I've, I've really struggled to find something that's truly um, unique sure. uh, to architects, especially, you know, something that doesn't cost, you know, thousands of dollars a year right? because, uh, you know, that's, that's the struggle of all uh, small firms is that, that barrier to, uh, to entry.
1: Yeah. What about for marking up PDFs cuz I know Bluebeam's not currently available on the Mac. Oh
0: god, man, I love Bluebeam. I use Bluebeam for years. Um and then as a matter of fact, Bluebeam was supported on the Mac up until about I don't know, 2015, 2016 somewhere in there. Yeah. And then they just they were just like, whatever. We don't we don't care about Mac users anymore. Um and that was, that was disappointing. Mostly I use, uh, preview, uh, you know, for signing documents and things like that. But honestly, I've, I've been using, uh, Acrobat, which I absolutely hate. Um, but to be able to quickly mark up a document, um, it's pretty good, like a word document or, uh, sorry, text, text-based. Um, but, uh, but actually the one app that I've found the most success with for redlining is Morfolio. Um, it, depending, on the, depending on the DPI of your PDF, it can be a little uh, grainy you know, with the lines, um, but you can import an entire project set and go from page to page, redline it, and then export the entire thing. Uh, as a single PDF, which is really helpful.
1: Hmm.
0: So that's that's been, I think that's probably been one of the most helpful apps that I've I've really tried to take a lot more advantage of in uh, recent months.
1: What's your favorite thing about using a Mac and other Apple devices?
0: The hardware—it just works. Period.
1: Yeah, can't argue with that.
0: Yeah, like I don't ever have to have to pull up a C prompt. <laughs> You know, (laughs) there's so many people out there that have no idea what that is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it's on the C drive or the D drive or the E drive or the F drive. That just makes no sense to me either. Yep. Although it's something I have to deal with every day, but anyway.
0: Bless your heart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't lucky enough to find a firm that is a Mac based firm like you were.
0: Yeah. You know, I created like, one. <laughs> that's true.
1: <laughs> so what advice would you give the listeners if they're considering using a Mac in their practice?
0: Um, I would say don't let the, the cost of entry uh, deter you because the utility is, is worth far more than the cost. So for example, you know, obviously everything I own is, is Apple. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm recording this podcast from a MacBook pro uh, you know, my kids all have uh, iPads. They have iPhones. I have an iPhone, you know, I've got an iMac sitting on my desk in the, in the office. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm very excited about the fact that Apple today as we record this. Yes. Has released the 16-inch uh, uh, MacBook Pro with the M1 processor. I will, as a matter of fact, as soon as we're done recording this, I'm probably going to order two. <laughs> oh my! Okay. Yeah. Um, and that and that's because I want the flexibility of being able to go to a uh, more remote uh, or um, uh, uh, not being bound by the office. Sure, uh, not, not being uh, chained to a desk. I want you know my, my intern to be able to take days off, but take the laptop with her and, and still be productive. Um, and uh, so you know those, those types of things are important. I know you can do the same thing with PC, but I think the, the flexibility, the interconnectivity of the Apple products is so seamless across devices that PC just really can't keep up with it. Uh, And I think that's one thing that Apple has done really well, and I hope they keep doing it.
1: Well, Jeremiah, I appreciate you sharing your Apple and Mac experience, but before we wrap up this segment, I want you to share with the audience one app, utility, or service that you find most useful.
0: Most useful. Um, I'm going to go back to Morfolio. Um, They are, they are really great. Um, So not just in uh, for sketching, um, you know, digital sketching, but really the red lines, you know, the flexibility of being able to import uh, PDFs and uh, and notate them in real time is, is really critical to, to how I practice, uh, especially lately that I'm doing a lot more traveling for my work. Um, you know, rather than trying to carry a bunch of drawings and a red pen and get it all done, you know, I could just pull up my iPad and just start going to town, you know, and I can make it red, blue, or green, or yellow, or, you know, whatever I want.
1: It seems to be a very popular app. I've had a few guests recommend it.
0: It is, it is. And their, their mood board. Um, so if, if you're into interior design or, or creating um, sort of conceptual boards to, well, for lack of a better term, to create a mood uh, or to present a mood, um, it's it's really great. They, uh, they link with uh, a lot of uh, furniture and fixture manufacturers. So you can actually download those images directly from the internet and sort of present them to a client which is really helpful
1: well to close out this episode let's move to our final segment the 10 questions the first question is what is your favorite word
0: conundrum
1: what's your least favorite word and what turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally Uh,
0: creatively people, uh, spiritually and emotionally children.
1: What turns you off? Ignorance. What sound or noise do you love?
0: Children laughing.
1: What sound or noise do you hate?
0: Fluorescent lights.
1: What is your favorite curse word?
0: Multifaceted, multifunctional.
1: (laughs) What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
0: Uh, U.S. Marshal, but I'm aged out. I found out recently, which is unfortunate.
1: What profession would you not like to do?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, Politician.
1: If heaven exists... What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? My man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Jeremiah, I want to thank you for joining me on this
0: episode of Inside the Apple Studio. Please let the listeners
1: know where they can find you online and the best way to contact you.
0: Sure. Our website is www.roguearch.com. Uh, they can contact me through our website or by phone. Uh, my office line is 501-260-7506. And we always answer the phone.
1: That'll be a nice change. Yeah. <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> well, thanks again, Jeremiah. I appreciate you joining me.
0: Awesome. Neil, this is such a pleasure. I can't wait, to, uh, can't wait to do it again.
1: I look forward to it.
0: Thanks. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Inside the Apple Studio. I'd like to thank Monograph and ARC IT for their support. You can also support the show by telling a friend and show them how to follow it in their favorite podcast player. If you have comments on the show, you can find me on Twitter at N-P-A-N-N or at Apple for ARC. That's Apple, F-O-R-A-R-C-H. You can also comment on the Apple for Architects Facebook page and join the Apple for Architects Facebook group. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at AppleForArchitects.com. Oh shoot, I'm forgetting what it was. But I was like, yeah, I had that exact same experience. Uh, or Mo, oh, that's right. Drawing the lines. When you were talking about, you know, what is this line? I yeah. had that exact same experience when I was younger, and I have said that to other younger architects, mm-hmm. going or you know, younger younger kids out of school and and just working for me. I'm like, "What is that line? Do you know what that is? You need to know what it is. Don't yeah. fucking draw it unless you know what it is."
0: Yeah, and so, you know, by the way, yeah. gravity is a thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.